in the beginning was the Word. What in the world did that mean? It means this, that in Genesis chapter 1, if you read that verse, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, the earth was without form and void and in darkness. Here's where I want you to understand where we're at this morning. Where was the world when the word came upon the scene? Formlessness, the word for form there. It was without form. There was no form. That also means in the Hebrew that it was empty. It can mean the word confusion. It can mean the word chaos. The root meaning of that Hebrew word means to lie waste. A desert, a dry space, that there was no life, that it was just wasted land. Figuratively, it means a worthless thing. That was the, the state of our physical world when the word came upon the scene. Confusion, chaos, waste, worthless, void, empty and dark that was the state of the world at that time and then the word spoke it says that the god had begun to speak and what went forth from his mouth was the word and it was the word that began to create and as we learned last week from John 1.1 and John 1.14 and John 1.17, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That It's very clear that the word was speaking of Jesus. It's very clear that Jesus is not only the word, but the word was God, is God, will forever be God. That the word, made, all things were made through him, meaning that if some faith were to teach that Jesus was the first of creation, that he was the first that was made, that it would be in correct because it's impossible for all things to be made through him if he was made himself therefore Jesus was there not just in the beginning because God would have created Jesus and then Jesus was God or however you want to view that but that Jesus in continuity was there from the beginning was a part of the process of the beginning that helped create the heavens and the earth Jesus was, is, and always, forever will be God. That he's not a good teacher. He's not whatever you want to, other Jehovah's Witness, whatever other faiths teach about Jesus, uh, Muslims, that he was a good man, he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher, some of the New Age aspect. It's very clear in traditional Christianity, which we believe, that Jesus has always been, always will be, is God, that he is the word that came, that through Jesus comes the creative aspect of the word, the power of the word. And so the, when it comes to the state of the world, you understand it was confusion before Jesus, the word began to do anything. It was confusion, chaos, waste. It was worthless. It was void, empty, and darkness. But then it describes how the word began to go forth. And what does God say as it begins to go forth and bring change? The word would create a culture. 
that then the next thing that he speaks could live in, that would create another culture, which the next thing he speaks would be able to live inside of that. And at each step of transformation that took place, no matter where it was in the process, God would look at that and say, and it was good. Very good. He gets to at the end. It was good and very good, several times over. What does it mean in the Hebrew that God would say it was good? Part of that word means that it was pleasant, and that's what we think of when we think of good. But part of that aspect is that it was agreeable, that the the results of the word that was spoken and the actions that took place from that word were agreeable to what God wanted it to be, that it was good that it wasn't evil, that it wasn't bad, that it didn't remain the same, but that it changed it to something that was agreeable with the Lord. It also means that it has become valuable in estimation. It's no longer worthless, but it now has worth. It's the idea of when he speaks, it creates something that has opportunity for prosperity in life. When he speaks it, it's going to prosper. In life, And so the earth, as God began to speak it, began to prosper. It had abundance. It flourished. It was perfect in creation. And I believe that it's important as we begin to launch forth from this verse into the rest of the Gospel of John for us to really understand what it means that Jesus is the word and the power of the word when we understand the process of the word. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11, the prophet would write these words, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth, everybody say bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, just as the water, the snow not only wets things, but brings things forth, causes them to sprout forth, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and that shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish, everybody say accomplish, what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That word for accomplish means that when God speaks his word, that his word goes forth and it works. It's working something. It's producing something. It means that it's going to fashion. So when God began to speak in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, that his word went forth, it, it accomplished its work, that it fashioned it into what God wanted it to become. But what was the other aspect of that? When he'd look at each phase of the process, and he would say, it is good, Here we see, and it shall prosper for the thing which I sent it. What does that mean in the original language? It means to push forward, to break out, to be good, to be profitable. There's those same words once again. It's the idea that when God's word goes forth, it goes forth to work something, to fashion something with one purpose in order for it to break out into some sort of goodness and to be prosperous. So in Isaiah, what he's saying is that God's word is like the water that's nourishing the earth. It's creating a culture 
that causes the earth to bring forth, to push forward, to, to break out with goodness. The word fashions things into his desired shape so that they may prosper. The word fashions things into his desired shape so that they may prosper. Now, if we could just grasp this truth, the apostle John uh, he writes about when Jesus arrives upon the word. In the beginning was the word, right? So he, he's replaying that same thought, that same mentality, that same understanding, that same teaching. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word is God. He's repeating it again. Let me ask you this. Why would John write that thousands of years later? to copy Genesis. There's, there's multiple reasons. It would, point G, it would point Jews to the beginning of the world. It would point Jews to those who have read the book and understand the power of God, the word of God, who Jesus was, that he is God. It, it would back up what he's, saying, what he's saying, but would also back up what he accomplished, what the word has accomplished, Right? Because understand, what was the world like when Jesus arrived upon the scene? Since sin had entered in, Titus 2.14 says that, Paul writes to Titus and he says, Who gave himself, Jesus gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from what? Where was the state of the world? From lawless deeds. What does it mean to be lawless? I would say that lawless means that it's without law. If there's somewhere that is without law, what's of that place look like that's without law? I don't know about you, but you can look at some of our cities right now that have decided they're going to pull back on the law. And what do you have in that, those cities? You have a little bit of confusion going on. You have a little bit of chaos going on. You have a little bit of brokenness taking place. It's doing just the opposite from what they intended it to be because they pulled back. When Jesus entered into the world, he entered into the world that was lawless. Mark would write in 2.17, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What was the state of the world when Jesus arrived upon the scene? It was lawless. He came upon the scene because there were people who were sick. There were people who were sinners. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He would write Jesus' words as he quotes Isaiah 61.1 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Not everybody's in abundance. Not everybody's rich. But he came to preach the gospel to the poor. Because there was poor people upon the earth. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover of sight, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What was the state of the world when Jesus arrived upon the scene? It was lawless. It was sick. There were sinners. There were poor, brokenhearted, captives, blind, and oppressed. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost so there's a people who were lost in hebrews 2 14 the writer would say through death jesus might destroy him who had the power of death john 12 46 john would write what jesus says i've come as alive into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness 
So after mankind inhabited the earth, after God's word created something that was perfect, that was beautiful, that was prospering, instead of fulfilling the mission that was given to Adam and Eve, man did just the opposite. Sin came in. Corruption came in. We destroyed what the world had become. And so now when Jesus arrives upon the scene, I want you to understand the state of the world once again. Lawless, sick, sinners, poor, brokenhearted, captive, blind, oppressed, lost, death, and darkness. Now, I would probably argue that those words are the same words that would apply in the beginning in the book of Genesis. Because all of those words would relate to confusion, chaos, waste, worthless, void, empty, and dark. You can't be brokenhearted without having some sort of confusion in your life. And sometimes you feel worthless. You can't be blind and not have some sort of confusion in your life and chaos and, and feel like maybe life is a waste or worthless outside of Jesus I'm talking about in the world. That you can go through life and be oppressed. You're going to battle with some sort of, of feeling like you're lost, some sort of darkness in your life. Every aspect of this is pointing back to the beginning of the state of the world. Now the state of the world was in that same place when Jesus arrived upon the scene. So the gospel of John, he would write, in the beginning, once again, in the beginning, this was the state of the world when the word came upon the scene. The Bible says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ. It was going to be a new time, a new season, a new beginning. In the beginning was the word. The writer goes on in verses 4 through 5, and he says, what did that word do? Just like he did in the beginning. The word gave life to everything that was created. In the beginning, in Genesis, he gave life to everything. Everything was created through him. In the beginning, in John chapter 1, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Extinguish it. He brought life. What's that word for life? Vitality. There's an energy there's a blessedness. There's a fullness that comes in that life. In the light, it's simply to manifest, to shine forth. He brought this to men. One of our early church theologians wrote this uh, in his explanation of these verses. He said, the view of some physicists who find in electricity both light and power find it curiously similar to the fact that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. What was he writing about? That just as they understood electricity as, as an example of something that had both light and power, that in Jesus there is both light and power. In the word is both light and the power of life. And, and what is that power of life? It's, it's the power of life to produce vitality, blessedness, and a fullness. Now, compared with the first creation, the word was the source of life then. And so in a similar, but I believe in an even greater sense, because man messed it up, 
He is the source of life now to a dead world in trespasses, corrupted by sin. And this life came to bring goodness, vitality, prosperity, and fullness to man's restoration as the new creation. The life the, that the word brings, listen, isn't just the difference between life and death. That, that's not what he's talking about. He just barely gets us to have a flicker inside so that we are barely living. No, the difference that Jesus, the word, brings when he brings that life, when he brings that light, wasn't meant to be now you're barely alive, but you're going to make it. The difference isn't just life from death. The difference is a fullness of life, a vitality in life, that there is an abundance there that you would prosper in life. Now, I hope you go back to the beginning and understand I'm not talking about prospering in the world. I'm talking about the wholeness of who he created you to be. And listen, Jesus didn't just mean for it to be that goodness for back when he was on the earth. He means it for Christians still today. He means it for now. Probably one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the woman with the issue of blood. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 25 through 34, and many of you here know this story. This uh, story about the woman with the issue of blood is talked about in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Mark probably does, I believe, the best job of covering what took place in this story. Now, I'm not going to to completely dissect, and we're not preaching this story this morning, but what I want you to understand about this story is, is what the word accomplished in this story. Remember, Jesus is the word. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. If you know the context of this story, they were walking through the streets. Jesus had gotten word that a child was sick and might die, and so Jesus said him and his apostles would go there to pray for her. And while he's doing that, uh, this story takes place. It says in verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Just to let you know there was an issue with her uh, that caused this to take place. So she had had struggles with the issue of blood that would come forth that were feminine problem, was a feminine problem. And that in those days, that made her an outcast from society. She would have to walk around and probably say that she was unclean so that people didn't touch her. Or she would be outside the city if this was taking place. She was, if you touched her, then you would become unclean. She was somebody that many people would want to not only not touch, but stayed completely away from. We don't know much about her personal life, but if you had this issue for 12 years, you know that it was probably an extremely challenging life. Verse 26, she had suffered many things from many physicians. Somebody say she'd suffered. So she went to the doctors, always hoping that whatever going to a physician might bring some sort of goodness into her life, and just the opposite took place. Every time she'd go to the doctor, it would only create more suffering in her life. He goes on and says that she spent all that she had, so she spent every penny she had trying to get better. And 
was no better, but rather grew worse. I want you to just put yourself in her state of mind. She's already an untouchable in society. We don't know, you know, what kind of family she had, what she was, you know, how they were around her, if they supported her, if they stayed away from her. She couldn't go to the temple. Uh, she had to be away from people. She would try and go to the doctors. Every time she'd go to the doctors, she only walked away actually being worse than going to the doctors, and she spent every single, pun every single bit of money she had trying to get better. She go it goes on, and, and he writes, when she heard about Jesus... She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I don't know. Can you, Mom, will you check my desk and see if my prayer shawl's on there? So listen, the woman with the blood issue. If you look at what her, the state of her world was like when the word arrived upon the scene, what the state of her world was like, I would guess, would be confusion from the doctors that she suffered under. You keep going to a doctor thinking you're going to get better, and when that doctor can't help you, you go to another doctor. Maybe you've heard this doctor is really good at this or he's good at that and that he has a way that he can help you get better, and so you go to that doctor thinking that you're going to get better because of what, what that doctor practices. You go there, and you end up suffering, and you're only worse, and then you hear about another doctor, and they do this over here. They try the natural way of doing things, and they follow that, and you go over to there, and things only get worse, and you feel like you're suffering because of what you're trying, and then you hear about another doctor, and you go to that doctor 12 times over. She's been to all of the doctors that she possibly could until she spent every single penny. I don't know about you, but I would imagine there's some sort of confusion going on in her life. There's probably some sort of chaos that's taking place around her, inside of her. She was untouchable. She's dirty. Some people might look at her as a life that has been laid to waste. She spent all that she's had. She's now considered worthless, and it only gets worse. I would imagine that she is empty on the inside that she's more than likely now void of hope and that she's in a dark place. That is the state of her world. Confusion, chaos, waste, worthless, empty and void, and dark. But in the beginning, in the beginning, it says that she heard about Jesus. She heard the word on the street. And the word on the street was that this man has the ability to bring healing to people that seems impossible. That he's 
she, he's bringing miracles, signs, and wonders with his ministry. But it's not just the ministry of miracles, signs, and wonders. People are saying when they listen to him teach, when they hear him speak, that he has an authority that nobody else has had that they've ever heard of. That there is power in his word. That he's bringing life to dead situations. That's the word on the street. And so this hearing of the word is what actually probably drew her to the power of the word. As he's walking forward, she's thinking in her mind, there's got to be some way if I can just touch him. That I might be able to become a part of the story of those miracles, signs, and wonders. There's three things that I want you to notice that she did. Number one, she was facing many obstacles in life. Instead of running from those obstacles, instead of staying outside those obstacles where she was supposed to be in the first place, instead of avoiding the obstacles that were keeping her from getting better in life, it says that she pressed into them. Not only did she have all of these, these aspects of her culture and society keeping her back and holding her down, that she had these religious boundaries that she also had to abide by that were keeping her back and holding her down. But then when she hears of the word and hearing of the word that draws her to Jesus, the power of the word drew her to the man, Jesus. There was a crowd around him. Now, everybody would have said there's no way that she should even get close to that crowd. Because if she has to squeeze through the obstacle of the people that are thronging around Jesus, every single person that she touches on her way is going to be considered dirty also. But she doesn't let any of the stigma hold her back from reaching the one that she knows she must get to to bring change into her life. I want you to understand this this morning. There's barriers in every one of our lives that, that try to hold us back from reaching Jesus. And instead of running from those things in life or avoiding those things in life, which we will often do, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to face that. I don't, I don't want to go through the challenges I would have to go through in order to get to that place. It says that she pressed into it. She went into the throng of the people who were surrounding Jesus. She pressed into her challenges instead of running from them. The second thing she did is it says that she reached. I don't know about you, but sometimes to see something that is potentially possible on the other side of my challenge seems like a reach, doesn't it? Some translations say that she stretched. Sometimes it's a stretch. I have to tell you, sometimes it's a stretch to believe God's word for your own life. You can believe something for somebody else, but it's hard to believe for yourself. But it says that she was in such a place that she pressed into and she reached for the one that she knew could change her life. Sometimes you've got to go to those extremes and be willing to stretch. Sometimes that's a, a stretch that pushes you physically, pushes you emotionally, 
pushes you spiritually. Sometimes it's a stretch to actually really believe what God's word says. But you put yourself in a position of faith, uh, put yourself in such a position that you're willing to stretch your faith to believe in his word, that he is the word, and what the word can do, what it can accomplish, and what, what it is wanting to accomplish in each and every one of our lives. The final thing is that she grasped. What does it say uh, in the New King James? She touched his garment. In some translations, it, it says that it'll she touched his robe or his clothes, depending on what translation of the Bible you, it is that you read. But what's really being talked about, most people would say, is that Jesus was wearing a prayer shawl, the talit, and that there's strings that hang down. And that she reached out and she simply touched the string that was hanging down from his prayer shawl. Now, a lot of people will go further into what that might have represented to those who were people who were praying and what each thing meant on the prayer shawl, that sort of thing. All I really want us to understand is in her desperation for transformation in her life upon hearing the power of God and what it can accomplish is that she was willing to press into her obstacles, that she was willing to stretch her faith and to reach for that person that would bring that change into her life. And finally, the only thing she touched, she wasn't even able to fully grab hold of him. She wasn't even able to get his attention. But she simply touched the thread that was hanging down from his prayer shawl. The tiniest thread of the word. The tiniest thread of the word changed her life. She was able to grasp on to just a thread of the word, and it changed her life. You know, I think about hearing about persecuted Christians around the world and how they, a lot of them don't have Bibles, but they will share the Bible. And by sharing the Bible, I mean that they share pieces of the Bible. Some of them might have a page, and I've heard of them sharing certain pages, and then they pass those pages around. And they don't have the wholeness of God's Word, but they might just have but a piece of God's Word. And it's just that piece of God's Word, that little piece that changes their life. Just grasping one aspect of the truth of God's word and the power in his word that can bring transformation to every individual's life if they are willing to press in and reach for it. That's exactly what she did. And then Jesus, he responds to her after she just touches but a thread of the word of God. It says that, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Remember what was her world like when the word arrived upon her scene? Her world was confusion, chaos, lied waste, worthless, empty, void, and dark. But she simply grasped but a thread of the word. And now all of a sudden she's well, she has peace. And she's healed. That word for well means that to save a suffering one uh, ultimately from perishing away. One suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore, to health. Peace is the exemption from rage. What does that mean? I would tell you this in the context of what I've said already. 
that when there's rage taking place, there's typically chaos. There's confusion, lack of understanding. So she has this, this exemption from chaos, this security, safety, and again, the idea of prosperity in her life. There's a fullness that comes to her life. Healed is sound in body. Make one whole and restore to health. She's no longer just a broken-hearted person, somebody whose life is in pieces, but she has been brought to a place of fullness in life because there's a wholeness in her life. You see, in the beginning, just hearing God's word, just hearing her word, his word caused her to push forward. And then once she reached out and grasped what was even the smallest thread of the truth of the word, it broke out in goodness. And the word fashioned her into his desired shape so that she may prosper now. Thank you. Not quite in the same place I was just preaching on it, but this is a prayer shawl. And typically it's worn over the head or the shoulders, and these are the threads. And she simply reached out, and it's believed that what they were saying is that she touched the tassel, the thread that was from the prayer shawl. My point is just touching a thread of the word, just grasping a thread of God's word is enough to bring life into your dead situation. The word fashioned her into his desired shape so that she may prosper, not just someday in the future, but that she may have that wholeness, that abundance of life right now. I want to close with saying this. This isn't just some feel-good story about a woman in the Bible. This isn't a parable that Jesus made up. This is a fact that is meant to be an example for our life here today, that her testimony can be our testimony. We all know that life can have its challenges, right? Whether you're going through one of them right now, there will be some time in your life where you will battle confusion. You may feel like there's chaos that's going on around you, the circumstances, your family, at work, whatever it might be. There's times where we start to wonder if our, wife, if our life has just been a waste. What have we done with our life? There's times where you might start to wonder about your worth, where you feel empty inside, void. There's times where you feel like nothing but darkness surrounds you. But I want to encourage you with this. Every challenge has a beginning. And in the beginning was the word. Since the beginning of your challenge, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the word has been at work in you. And the only reason why the word works is to accomplish goodness and prosperity, abundance, and to shine forth his glorious light. It's not just meant to be a part of the world. 
but it's meant to be a part of your world right now. The word who created the universe, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the word who died for us, that same word sits in your hands in what we call the Bible. That same word is on an app on your phone, however you you get into God's word. That same word is living, alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce soul and spirit, bone and marrow. That same word is living to this day. The word who created us continues to teach us, to heal us, to rebuke us, to protect us, and to love us. And to do all those things from the inside out. Colossians 1.27, Paul would write to the church, To them, the generations, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just as great as the mystery of the creation of the universe is the mystery of God in us, the Word in us. Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, it says that He, the Word, now lives inside of each of us who have accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. He that is in us is greater than anything that is in this world. And that if we will understand how the Word dwells in us, that you can allow that to dwell in you in abundance. It will change your life. It will create what was broken and make it whole. Once again, what was lonely, lonely once will now have uh, be surrounded with, with the family of God, with the presence of God. What was chaos can now be peace. What was dark can now have light. Listen, your response to the challenges and adversities of life will be in direct relation to the knowledge and trust that you have in the fact that the word is richly deposited inside of you. That just as in the beginning, the word is working in you to create goodness and prosperity, abundant life and glorious light. That the word is fashioning you into his desired shape so that you may prosper in the now. As I remember looking back on my early life and studying God's word, how I ended up coming to church and all that God has done in me and through me, I look back on all the struggles, the hurts, and the challenges, and all I can tell you is this, that I promise you, 
when you understand the richness of God's word and how it can dwell in you richly, that as you begin to read and study, and I'm not just talking about the written word, I'm talking about even the rhema word. I believe that God still speaks to our hearts today. That it is those moments that we rely upon, that we remember, that get us through the hard times, the challenging times, that cause us to grow and, and to become all that God wants us to be. I stand before you, nobody special, but somebody that can tell you that it is through God's word that he's brought transformation and continues to bring transformation into my life. And for wherever you are in life right now, God wants to do the exact same thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. You were there in the beginning. You're there with God, that you are God, that in the beginning that it was the word that created and brought life to those things that were considered dark, chaotic, and worthless. Lord, I thank you that in due season, when you looked upon the earth, and it was in that same place that you sent Jesus to this earth. When the world was in chaos, brokenness, void and empty, Jesus came to bring life and to light. Bring life and light into this world. And just as he did for the woman with the blood issue, Lord, I thank you that no matter what our world is like, that you are there when our world feels void and empty, chaotic and worthless, you're there to bring that same life, that same fullness, that same abundance, that you're there to shine your light forth to the world around us, that people will know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. Everybody says.